Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Fran Balamuth, MD, PhD, about the article, Pediatric Severe Sepsis in U.S. Children's Hospitals, published in the November 2014 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Dr. Balamuth is an assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania Perlman School of Medicine and works at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you for having me. So tell us, what what do we know about the prevalence of severe sepsis in children's hospitals in the United States? I think first we know that pediatric sepsis is a big problem to tackle. As critical care physicians, I think, are well aware that it's a leading source of morbidity, mortality, and healthcare costs in children in, in the U.S. And there have been a lot of changes in sepsis care over the past decade, mostly in that increasing amounts of evidence have demonstrated that timely recognition as well as therapy can reduce mortality in sepsis, which has led to the development of lots of initiatives across the country led through institutions like the Surviving Sepsis Campaign to improve care for these patients. And I think as as these hospital systems aim to implement changes in sepsis care, it's essential to be able to track patient outcomes, especially as we aim to develop achievable benchmarks of care across regions and across different hospital systems. And kind of as we move towards developing these benchmarks, we need to have accurate epidemiologic estimates of sepsis prevalence and outcomes in children. So that's what led you to do this current study? Yes. And I think because of the large scale and distribution of sepsis patients across the country, it's helpful to use administrative data sets to determine epidemiologic trends on a larger scale. So how did you do this study? So this study, we um, utilized data from the Pediatric Health Information Systems Database, which is a, an administrative database run by the Children's Hospital Association. And the database contains clinical and administrative data from inpatient hospitalizations from 44 children's hospitals in the U.S. And we identified pediatric severe sepsis and septic shock using two different coding strategies. So prior to 2003, Derek Angus and his colleagues developed a method to identify patients with sepsis that used a combination of diagnostic codes for infection as well as codes for organ dysfunction. And then in 2003, specific diagnostic codes for severe sepsis and septic shock were introduced. And there have been previous studies in both adults and adults that have shown that the patients identified by these two different methods were actually not, not exactly the same as each other, both in terms of prevalence and outcomes. And there was one pediatric study based in the ICU that suggested similar differences between populations of children with sepsis identified using these methods. So we decided to use the, the FIS database to evaluate the patients identified by these two different strategies. So we identified two cohorts. The first was a cohort of patients that were identified using combination codes, so codes for infection plus organ dysfunction. And then we had a sepsis code cohort that used ICD-9 codes for severe sepsis and septic shock. And then we looked at prevalence, outcomes, and resource utilization for each of these groups during our study period from 2004 to 2012. So what were your major findings when you did this? So I think we had two important types of findings from our study. The first were were differences in in sepsis prevalence and outcomes between the two patient groups. So the patient populations identified by the combination code method identified a large group of over 176,000 patients during the study period, while the sepsis codes identified just over 25,000 patients. And of particular interest, the mortality rate was much lower in the combination code patients. They had a mortality rate of 8.2% compared to 21% in the sepsis code patients. And so obviously a critical next step from the study is to determine which of these coding methods is more accurate, and we still don't know the answer to that question. Why do you think there's such a difference? How do we interpret this difference in, in estimates by different methodologies? What do we do with this? Yeah, so I think that's probably one of the most interesting questions in the study. I think the most optimistic interpretation from the patient perspective is that there have been efforts across the country to both recognize and treat sepsis more effectively, and that those strategies are working, and that maybe there is a true increase in the prevalence of severe sepsis and septic shock for reasons that we still don't know 
know yet, but that protocols are being implemented and hospitals and patient outcomes are improving. I think an alternate explanation, of course, is that we're simply identifying more low acuity cases. And this could be due to increased awareness around sepsis recognition so that hospitals, our doctors are calling things, are sure to call them sepsis where they might not have called it sepsis before. And then I think there's kind of the pessimistic or more insidious interpretation is that, you know, hospitals are held accountable for sepsis outcomes. And so they may be increasing the less acute patients calling them sepsis, and that will help to make outcomes look better. So if, for example, a hospital reported their patients defined as sepsis by the organ dysfunction and infection codes, they would have larger numbers, lower mortality than if they identified their patients with sepsis by severe sepsis and septic shock codes? So, I mean, I think we don't know that because, you know, all we have is information on the back end as, as to what happened. And so I don't think we necessarily know. We didn't do an analysis to look at differences between specific hospitals, but that is, you know, I think you could certainly stretch. I think it's not fair to draw that conclusion necessarily, <laughs> uh, but, but I do think that there certainly are multiple interpretations of the data that we found. But by either technique, the prevalence of sepsis is is going up over this time period, correct? Yes. Yeah, so that was the other the other important part of the study was to look not just at the pure numbers of sepsis prevalence and outcomes, but to look at changes over the time of the study. And even though the magnitude of the outcomes was quite different between the groups, the trends that we looked at, so prevalence went up in both in both cohorts and mortality went down, hospital length of stay went down, and cost went down in both of the groups. Which gets back to your question of are we doing a better job with patients with sepsis, which we certainly like to think we are with more attention and attention to guidelines and so forth, or are we in fact finding more of the less severe cases, so the mortality and resource utilization would be going down based on that. Yes, and I, th- I mean, it's tricky to, to imagine how you could tease apart those two questions without a very time-intensive medical record review on kind of a, a very large scale. Yeah, this is uh, way too many patients to be able to do that kind of medical record review. Do you have any thoughts on how we could address that question? I mean, I think probably doing some some sense of medical record review would be helpful. I also think looking at a hospital-by-hospital hospital analysis would also be interesting because you could look at particular trends to see if there were differences between different types of hospitals. The other thing that I think is interesting is it doesn't seem like it's an either-or type of coding. So if you look, if, when we looked at the overlap between the two groups, we found that almost all of the patients with sepsis-specific codes codes also had infection and organ dysfunction codes, but that there was a large proportion of patients with infection plus organ dysfunction codes who did not have sepsis-specific codes. So it may it may not be that, in aggregate at least, that there seems to be a lot of overlap. One of the other kind of sidebar interesting findings of our study, I thought, was that if you look, there were about 1,800 patients that had sepsis-specific codes but did not have either organ dysfunction or infection codes, so a small, like 1% of the population, but those patients actually were the sickest of everyone, so their mortality rate was even higher than the sepsis code group. They had a mortality of over 30%. And so I think a deeper understanding of patients in those groups will also be an important area to look at in the future. Yeah, that would be, it would be very interesting to look at that group. It looks like from your figure three, as you said, the vast majority of the patients who were coded with severe sepsis or septic shock were also coded with the organ dysfunction and infection, which kind of seems a little bit intuitive to me that that might happen. So that that subgroup that is only coded as septic shock and not as infection and organ dysfunction is a very interesting subset with a substantially higher mortality. And, you know, I mean, we haven't gone 
back. We don't have the charts of these patients, obviously, to look at specifically what happened to them. It's possible that they were the ones who died very quickly, and so they, we right. didn't really have even have time to assess their organ dysfunction, and that's why maybe they were kind of dead in the first 24 hours of hospitalization. That may explain part of the differences, but again, I think that would be a very interesting group to study further in the future. Yeah, I think that suggestion that you make may well be an explanation for why somebody would be coded as septic shock, but not be coded necessarily for infection and organ dysfunction if they just come in and essentially die so quickly you don't really have time to assess much. Exactly. And I imagine that there are some differences in coding practices from institution to institution, yes. so that confuses things as well. Agreed. Yes, also, definitely. I definitely think that kind of looking at this by per hospital will be very interesting. Do you think that you have the ability to do that? I think yes, but I mean, the individual hospitals can be identified within FIS, so it would be just a matter of you certainly could look at the case distribution mix across hospitals and try to compare outcomes, certainly. That might be an interesting project to, to take yeah, a look for at. Sure, for sure. So the study was done as part of a, a sepsis research working group within the Children's Hospital Association, and that is one uh-huh. thing that we are interested in looking at in the future. Uh-huh. Um, what are the implications of these findings for our current practice in the PICU or where our practice should go? Do you have any thoughts? One thing is that I think this study highlights the challenges of tracking hospital performance with regards to sepsis care on a large scale. So obviously we'll observe very different outcomes in sepsis populations depending on how we identify and measure them. So I'm hoping that this study will spur future studies to improve the accuracy of patient identification and tracking so we can be sure to develop appropriate benchmarks and intervene when needed. I think the other interesting thing from the study is that it highlights the severity of septic shock in the pediatric population. So pediatric mortality from septic shock is often reported to be far below that of adults, but certainly in some populations in this study, mortality is quite high, you know, 20 and 20% in the sepsis code group to even as high as 30% in that subgroup we discussed. And this, I think, highlights that septic shock in children is a big problem and has significant mortality associated with it that certainly is worth prompt attention. And the other thing I think that's very important to note is that the study was done in dedicated children's hospitals, and the high mortality rates may also reflect the high acuity of patients in these centers where certainly sick patients are taken care of a lot. I think those are all valid points, and I think it underscores the difficulty with clinical research and moving forward in pediatric sepsis with the difficulty with definitions and how do you identify the patient who has sepsis and makes the challenging area even a little more murky. Absolutely, and I think the clinical challenges are also very paramount. Sometimes it's very tricky to tell if the patient decompensates compensating because they have sepsis or for some other reason, and it's also challenging to identify them epidemiologically. So we have our work cut out for us at multiple (laughs) levels. We absolutely do. And in the meantime, I think we need to continue to look at data such as yours to try to sort these things out and continue on with our work on guidelines and standardizing care to the best that we can in a somewhat heterogeneous population. Definitely. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make? I think that's it. I really appreciate the opportunity to share our work. Well, I appreciate your talking with us today. Thanks so much. We have been talking today with Dr. Fran Balamuth from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia about her article, Pediatric Severe Sepsis in U.S. Children's Hospitals, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in November 2014. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Mark your calendar and join more than 6,000 members of the critical care community in the Valley of the Sun for SCCM's 44th Critical Care Congress to be held January 17th to 21st, 2015 in Phoenix, Arizona, USA.
Visit www.sccm.org congress to register and for more information. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University Medical Center. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.